Hello everyone, what is up? Welcome back to another episode of Killer Instinct. If you're new here, hi, my name is Savannah and I am your host of Killer Instinct. Before we get started, make sure you go ahead and hit that subscribe button, that way you never miss an episode. We post weekly every Wednesday on the podcast as well as upload the video version onto YouTube on Wednesdays as well and you are not going to want to miss it. Now, for today's case, today we are uncovering a case that is actually currently ongoing. The trial for this case is still active as we speak, and I'm sure that some of you have either heard about this case or are following this case as it's been unveiling itself within the past few weeks. Now, I do want to say I am recording this episode on September 17th of 2023, so that is where I am at on being up to date on the trial information. However, for continual updates, you can go follow along the Killer Instinct podcast Instagram because I will be giving updates as they come within the next few days and weeks as well. Now, this case is a pure tragedy. It's horrific, and I'm very interested to see where you stand on it, and I'm eager to know what your thoughts are. So with that being said, let's jump right on into it today. Now, as you can tell by the title, today we are talking about the horrific murder of Brenda Powell. Brenda Powell was born on March 19, 1969 in Salem, Ohio. She graduated from the University of Akron, which is in Ohio as well, and she graduated with a child life specialist degree and went on to work at the Akron Children's Hospital for 28 years, where she worked as a child life specialist in the hospital's Center for Childhood Cancer and Blood Disorders. While Brenda was working at the hospital, she founded the Oncology Teen Program and planned activities for families to help them celebrate each step of success along their journeys. Brenda is described as someone who was devoted to her friends and her family. She met her husband Steve in 1995 and the two of them were married one year later in November of 1996. Steve and Brenda had two children together. They had their daughter Sydney, who was the eldest, and then they went on to have their son Andrew as well, and they continued to raise their kids in Akron, Ohio. Now, for this case, we are really going to be focusing on one of Brenda's children, and that would be Sydney Powell. Sydney Powell is a 23-year-old woman who was born to her parents, Steve and Brenda, and lived with them in Akron, Ohio. Brenda and Steve raised their children in a Catholic family, and Sydney was a student at St. Sebastian Elementary and then made her way to St. Vincent St. Mary High High school, where she graduated in 2018. While Sydney was in high school, she was an honor student who received amazing grades, and she also had extracurriculars like playing soccer, and she also played one year of lacrosse while she was there as well. Sydney was described as more of an introverted extrovert. She definitely came off more timid and shy and quiet when first meeting people. However, once she became close to them, she really let out her bubbly, outgoing, and fun personality. 
Now, as Sydney's high school career was coming to an end, her and her parents started to think about where they wanted Sydney to go to college and where Sydney wanted to go to college. They did several college tours in surrounding states as well as in Ohio to try and see which college would be the best fit for Sydney. And after completing the college scouting process, Sydney decided that she wanted to apply to Mount Union. Mount Union is located in Alliance, Ohio, and it is about a 45-minute drive away from Akron. Sydney liked the fact that Mount Union was a relatively smaller school and close to home, and she actually got a scholarship to Mount Union as well, which gave her family a cut on tuition. Sydney was known to be an excellent student. She had amazing grades all through high school, and it was through her grades that she was able to land this scholarship. And the idea of being close to home was also endearing for Sydney as well. She liked the fact that with being 45 minutes away, it seemed like she was far enough from her family where she felt like she could have independence and she could have her own life, and she felt a new sense of maturity. But she also liked the comfort of knowing that her family was close enough where if she wanted to or if she felt homesick or if she ever needed something, her family was just a short drive away. It was important to Sydney to remain close to her parents because her and her family were incredibly, incredibly close. She especially had a very close relationship with Brenda. Everyone who knew Brenda and Sydney said that they were the best of friends. They were always texting each other, sending each other pictures or memes or just funny jokes here and there. They were always checking in on each other and they just had a very tight-knit relationship. So it was a very easy choice at the end of the day when Sydney decided on Mount Union. It really checked all of her boxes. And everyone in the family was incredibly happy for Sydney as well. Everyone was excited for this new chapter that she was about to embark on and were happy to support her every step of the way. So Sydney started college in the fall of 2018. That is when she was a freshman at Mount Union. She was living on campus in the dorms with actually her best friend from high school. Her best friend Lauren was her roommate and Lauren and Sydney had known each other for years and years and years. So it was a very easy decision when they decided that they wanted to live together on campus. Depending on what the layout of your college campus looks like and what your residence halls looks like and what your dorms look like. Some dorms are just single dorms and you have your two roommates in those dorms or some dorms have your dorms, your Jack and Jill bathroom and your suite mates. That is how mine was when I was at college. However, I know some people's are a little different. However, Sydney had her roommate as well as her suite mates. Sydney was incredibly excited to embrace everything that Mount Union had to offer. She was excited to join a sorority, which she did. She was excited to make new friends, which she also did. She kept in touch with her parents while she was gone as well, letting them know about all of the fun activities she was partaking in and how great of a time she was having. Even though Sydney was only 45 minutes away from home, she really didn't spend a lot of time going home. In fact, the only time she would ever really go home to see her family were on those mandatory breaks when students 
students would go home for fall break, winter break, Thanksgiving break. That is when she would be going home, but she enjoyed school so much that she wasn't leaving on a random weekend just to go visit her parents. She really was having an amazing time. What if your partner developed 21 new identities or you discovered that your friend who helped you through your darkest times was actually a conniving con artist? Or what if you began seeing demons everywhere inhabiting people, including your son? What would you do? From Wondery, This Is Actually Happening is a podcast that brings you extraordinary true stories of life-changing events told by the people who lived them. In their newest season, you'll hear even more intimate first-person accounts of how regular people have overcome remarkable circumstances. From the man who went to jail for 17 years for accidentally shooting the person who tried to save his life, to one of the close friends of an infamous scam artist named Amanda Riley, these haunting accounts sound like Hollywood movies, but I assure you, this is actually happening. Follow This Is Actually Happening on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. And you can listen to This Is Actually Happening ad-free on Wondery+. Plus. Imagine an app designed to make you use it less. Seems a little counterproductive, right? Well, Apartments.com's Instant Alert feature works exactly that way. Instead of scanning rental listings a million times a day, simply set and forget your search to whatever you're looking for in a place and let Apartments.com do the rest. From pet-friendly apartments to balconies to in-unit ACs, Apartments.com's powerful search tools let you know when the perfect combination of features you're seeking is listed. So you don't have to power through rental descriptions one by one. With more rental listings than anywhere else, Apartments Apartments.com's instant alerts mean that you can spend less time looking for the perfect place and more time on just doing you. Apartments.com, the place to find a place. When Sydney returned home for the summer of 2019, she got a job working for the Little League baseball team in Akron called the Akron Rubber Ducks. After her summer spending it working and hanging out with Lauren and her family, she returned back for her sophomore year in 2019. And as usual, she went through her semester and then went home for Christmas break in the winter of 2019. And then once winter break was over, Sydney packed up her things and moved back to school in January of 2020. Now, something that was pretty unique about Mount Union, and I'm not sure if other colleges are similar in this, if they do the same thing or if they don't, but Mount Union has a parent-student portal. Their parents are able to see their students' grades. They're also able to pay tuition. There's multiple different things that are happening in this portal. But again, the grades section of this portal is only accessed if the student gives permission to the parents. Because at this point, the students that are attending Mount Union are almost always 18 years old. They're legally adults. And because of that, there are certain privacy laws in place that prevent Mount Union from being able to, you know, send out a report card or something of that nature. You know, the students do have their privacy when it comes to their grades. But for Sydney, Sydney was always an amazing student. In high school, she was on the honor roll. She was always a fantastic student and her parents never had to worry about her grades. That was one thing that they never had to worry about. Sydney was always consistent when it came to her grades and she was always excelling in everything that she did. However, in the early 
early months of 2020, so January, February, Steve, Sydney's father, had tried multiple times to get access into this portal. Steve was trying to gain access for no other reason other than paying the tuition. He wanted to pay his daughter's tuition. He wanted to see how much he owed. He wanted to see how he was going to wire the money to Mount Union. However, every time he tried to log into the portal, the portal kicked him out every time. So he was unable to log in. Steve then reached out to Sydney and told her what was going on and asked if she knew why the portal wasn't allowing him to log in. Now, according to Sydney, she told her dad not to worry, and this was simply just a technical error. It was an error on the school's side and that she was going to ask the school about what was happening and get everything sorted out. However, after some time passed and nothing changed, Steve started to get worried. He knew that he had to pay this tuition in order for Sydney to continue attending Mount Union. However, he wasn't able to gain access to this portal. So instead of waiting for Sydney again at this point, Steve decided that he was going to take matters into his own hands and he was going to contact Mount Union directly. Now, Steve made this phone call on March 3rd of 2020. So Steve calls the school. He calls Mount Union and asks them for access to this portal so he could pay tuition. And if he can't have access to the portal for whatever reason, he was asking the school what the amount of money he was due so that he could pay for Sydney's tuition. But this is when Steve was told something that he definitely did not expect. When Steve made this phone call on March 3rd, Mount Union informed him that Sydney was actually no longer enrolled as a student at Mount Union. Now, as you can imagine, when Steve heard this, he was in absolute shock. He thought there must have been a mistake, a misunderstanding, because Sydney, to his knowledge, had been attending classes all the way up until this phone call on March 3rd. So he didn't understand why all of a sudden the school is now telling him that she had been unenrolled and was no longer a student. Steve had asked Mount Union how long Sydney had been unenrolled. However, Mount Union told him that that was private information and information that they were not going to be able to release to him due to those privacy laws when it comes to academics and grades and school status. So because of that, that is when Mount Union told Steve that he needed to finish having this conversation with Sydney because there was only so much information that they themselves could legally give him. Now, what we know then that we didn't know now and what Steve later found out was that Sydney was actually academically suspended back in December of 2019 after she failed three out of her four classes in the fall semester. Now, academic suspension means that a student is unenrolled and suspended for one particular semester. 
Now, when a student is academically suspended, they are allowed to re-enroll the following semester or any semester following that. However, they are just simply suspended for that particular semester. Now, with Mount Union in particular, and again, I'm not sure how this matches up with other universities and other colleges. However, with Mount Union, if a student were to be academically suspended and they came back, all of their credits maintained the same as it was when they left. And even more so, the student has the opportunity to retake the courses that they previously failed, and that way they can raise their GPA. So even though academic suspension was obviously not something that anyone strived for or anyone wanted, it was obviously not a good thing, there were ways that you could redeem yourself and redeem your GPA when you return back. So it wasn't like this was the end of the world, so to speak, because there were ways to rebuild your grades and your GPA when you returned. Now, with every academic suspension at Mount Union, the student receives a letter. This letter is to give them notice that they have been academically suspended and they are supposed to sign this letter and send it back. However, with Sydney, Sydney did not sign this letter. There is proof that the letter went to Sydney. However, what she did with it afterwards is unclear, but she definitely did not act like she was academically suspended. Sydney continued attending classes and attending sorority meetings, as well as continued living on campus, which is also something that you are not allowed to do if you are academically suspended. You have to leave. You have to to move out of your dorm. Now, Sydney was told multiple times by administration and school officials that she needed to move out of her dorm. She had multiple in-person meetings with school officials who informed her of her suspension, asked her why she was continuing to go to classes and sorority meetings. And at first, the school wanted to be very helpful. They asked Sydney if she wanted help talking to her parents about it. However, Sydney insisted that she had already informed her parents that she had been academically suspended, which was a lie. She also told school officials that her parents were unable to help her move out of her dorm because they were on vacation with her little brother, which was also a lie. All in all, Sydney was just evidently trying to prolong the inevitable of having to move out and face the fact that she was in fact academically suspended. It wasn't until the third and final meeting on February 24th that Sydney moved out of the dorms and out of campus and ended up paying cash to stay in hotels all the way up until March 3rd of 2020, which evidently enough was the same day that Steve made the phone call and found out about her suspension. Now, when Steve made this phone call, he was actually at work at the time. So he makes this phone call, he's at work, and ironically enough, he actually got a notification from the Life360 app, which if you are unfamiliar, Life360 is a subscription-based app where you can see people's locations in real time, and it can send you notifications when someone is at home or set to a certain location of your choosing. Now, Steve received a notification while he was at work, and shortly after 
after this phone call that Sydney was actually at their family home. Now, again, this was unusual for Sydney because she normally would be at school, but obviously, since Steve just received the news that Sydney had been unenrolled from Mount Union, he used this to his advantage. He had no idea why Sydney was at the house, but decided that he was going to meet her there and finally be able to ask her in person about this unenrollment and suspension ordeal. So Steve left his phone at his work because he did not want Sydney to be able to see that he was driving home. So he strategically left his phone at his office, got into his car, and began the short drive back to his house. When he arrived at the house, he got there by approximately 11.30 a.m. And when he got there, it was just him and Sydney. He confronted Sydney and asked her about the unenrollment and asked when this happened and just wanted to get a better general understanding of the situation. Now, all in all, Steve was actually very understanding towards Sydney and her situation. He knew that his daughter was a brilliant and bright student. She excelled all through high school. So he really wanted to get to the root of what was causing this. Now, when talking to Sydney, she shared with her dad how she just felt really lost. She didn't have a good understanding of what she wanted to do in school, and she felt like all of her friends were striving for a specific career or a specific major, and Sydney didn't have that at the time. She actually told Steve that all of her friends, quote unquote, had all their shit together, and she didn't. Now, Steve was very understanding with Sydney. He was very sympathetic with her. He told her that she was going to figure it all out, they were going to work on it together, and that everything was going to be okay. Now, because Brenda, Sydney's mom, has a career working with teenagers and children, Brenda was definitely the one between the parenting duo that was able to connect emotionally with Sydney more. Again, Sydney and Brenda did have a very close relationship, and Steve really thought that Brenda could help Sydney a lot in this particular instance. So Steve ended up actually calling Brenda before he left to go home and meet Sydney. He called her and let her know that something was going on with her school. Sydney had been unenrolled and this was something that they needed to discuss. Now, Brenda was actually at work at the time. This was a work day for her, but she ended up leaving work early and heading home the second that she heard that Sydney was home. Now, again, Steve did not have his phone at the time, so he made this phone call before he left his office. And then once he went home, he told Sydney that her mom would be stopping by soon and the two of them can continue this conversation together. So Steve left the house to go back to work while Brenda was driving over to the house to meet with Sydney. Once Brenda was pulling up into the driveway, she called Steve, who was already back at the office, to let him know that she was pulling into the driveway and was going in to speak with Sydney. Now, that phone call happened at approximately 12.15 p.m. At 12.36 p.m., Brenda texted Steve, letting him know that she was waiting on the Mount Union Student Relations Department to call her back. At 12.37 p.m., Steve replied to Brenda, asking her to double-check on the scholarship that Sydney had to make sure that she didn't lose it. At 12.41 p.m., again, Steve texted, saying, quote, What did you discuss with Sydney? However, Steve never got a response. 
Instead of getting a response from Brenda, Steve received a phone call at 12.51 p.m. from a friend of his who was actually also a detective. This friend of Steve's was calling Steve to check in because he had heard over the police radio that police were being dispatched to Steve's home and was asking if everything was okay. Now, what we know now is that when Brenda walked into the house, she was on the phone with the Mount Union Student Relations Department to discuss the suspension. However, while she was on the phone, the Student Relations Department began to hear screaming and loud thuds and what they believe sounded like an attack. The school officials claimed that they heard a loud, piercing scream on the phone, followed by a loud thud. They said that the best way to describe it was it sounded like the wind was being knocked out of someone. Afterwards, they claimed that they heard several more thuds and more screaming. The school officials were trying to talk to Brenda on the phone, calling out her name, saying, hello, hello, is anyone there? But they weren't getting an answer. The school officials actually ended up telling Brenda while they were on the phone with her that if she did not respond to them and if she did not say that she was okay, they were going to call the police and send the police to Brenda's home. It was in that moment that everything went silent. The commotion stopped and a voice came on the other line saying, quote, Hi, sorry, this is Brenda. But the school officials knew very quickly that the woman that just answered them on the phone was not Brenda anymore. But in fact, it was a voice that they did recognize. They knew that the woman on the other end of the line was Sydney Powell impersonating her mother. Now, at this point, the school officials were already in communication with the Akron Police Department and had them dispatched over to the Powell household to do a welfare check. When Sydney answered the phone trying to be her mom, the school officials actually called her out for it. They told her that they didn't believe that this was actually Brenda, and before they could say anything else, Sydney hung up the phone. Now, after Steve got a phone call from this detective who was a friend of his who informed him that police were going to his house, he called Brenda and Sydney multiple times. However, he only got an answer from one of them. When Sydney answered the phone for Steve, she began hysterically crying and told her dad that there had been a break-in at the house. Now, when police arrived at the scene, they walked up to the rear of the home. That is when they saw a broken window with glass and blood everywhere. When walking into the house, they saw that Sydney had blood all over her hands and she was hysterical. She was screaming, she was crying, and she was claiming that someone had broken into the home. According to Sydney, when she and her mother were having a conversation after Brenda had come home to speak with her, an assailant walked into the house and forced Sydney to leave. And according to Sydney, Brenda told her to follow instructions and to leave the house to get help. So Sydney said she followed those instructions, left the house, and then returned shortly after to find her mom stabbed to death on the floor. Brenda was rushed to the hospital, where unfortunately, she succumbed to her injuries later in that day and passed away. The medical examiner concluded that Brenda had died from 23 stab wounds, as well as several blows to the back of her head. Now, as far as the house itself, the house was found in complete disarray when police arrived. Again, there was broken glass from that window that was broken. There were blood smudges all throughout the house. There were pieces of furniture 
furniture that were flipped over, and it definitely looked like there was a struggle. Now, as far as Sydney goes, I'm going to play the initial body cam footage audio of when paramedics and first responders arrived to the house to speak with Sydney. And I just want you to pay attention to how hysterical Sydney is in this moment, how she is saying that someone broke into the home, someone killed her mom. And I'm going to play that for you right now. So now is that when Brenda walked into the house, she was on the phone with the Mount Union Student Relations Department to discuss the suspension. However, while she was on the phone, the Student Relations Department began to hear screaming and loud thuds and what they believe sounded like an attack. The school officials claimed that they heard a loud piercing scream on the phone followed by a loud thud. They said that the best way to describe it was it sounded like the wind was being knocked out of someone. Afterwards, they claimed that they heard several more thuds and more screaming. Now, something that I mentioned earlier is that Sydney had blood on her hands when first responders got to her house, and police definitely thought that this was very strange from the very beginning. They didn't understand why if Sydney wasn't involved in the attack and she simply just left the house and came back, would she have cuts on her hands? It wasn't just blood or, you know, blood spatter from what she claimed. This is what Sydney said. She claimed that she touched her mom when she got into the house and that is why the blood was on her hands but these were more cuts these were scrapes these were scratches and it was through these cuts as well as finding out that the window in the house was actually broken from the inside police believe that this was done to set the stage of a break-in not because of an actual break-in 
Police had a very hard time believing Sydney's intruder story from the very beginning. Not only was there no physical evidence of an intruder, however, police had a hard time believing that Sydney would see her mom with an assailant, run out, stand in the driveway for several moments, and come back. It just didn't make a whole lot of sense. And again, it wasn't like Sydney ran to the neighbor's house or tried to call 911. Why didn't she try and go and get help? There was just a lot of missing pieces in this story that Sydney made up and police started to realize fairly quickly that this intruder story was nothing but a story. Police's theory that the intruder story was in fact fake was also confirmed and solidified when speaking to Mount Union, who was on the phone with Brenda at the time of the attack. They explained to police everything that happened in that phone call, including who they believed to be Sydney answering the phone and impersonating her mother. Now, it was through their investigation that police were able to paint a timeline on March 3rd, the day of Brenda's death. This timeline includes Steve, Sydney's dad, trying to pay the tuition for Sydney. However, he wasn't able to get access to the portal, which is when he contacted the school and was told that Sydney was on academic suspension. They then learned that Sydney had been staying in hotels the past few days and paying for those hotels in cash, but went home on the day of March 3rd. They learned that Steve went home to talk to his daughter and then left when Brenda said that she would be coming home to speak with Sydney. And then a fight ensued between Sydney and Brenda while Mount Union was on the phone, and Brenda died shortly afterwards. Now, police ended up getting a hold of Sydney's cell phone and wanted to look at the content in it. Now, when doing so, they discovered texts between Sydney and her mom, and a lot of those texts, sadly enough, definitely just seemed like a very normal and loving mother-daughter relationship. Like I mentioned in the beginning, they would send each other memes and jokes and funny texts, talking with each other every day. They looked like any other texts between a mother and daughter who had a very loving relationship. However, police were able to see through these texts that Sydney was definitely lying to her parents and to her mom about her status in school because she would talk to her mom about her classes and play it off like she was still a student. It was clear that Brenda did have some apprehensions and suspicions about Sydney's status in school. She texted Sydney on February 25th saying, quote, why do I always feel like you're scamming me? Just remember, you need good grades to keep your scholarship. And Sydney replied with, yes, I know, my grades are good. Thank you very much, end quote. Now, it wasn't until April 6th, so a little over a month after the murder, that Sydney was officially arrested for murder, felonous assault, and tampering with evidence. She was actually released shortly later on April 17th of 2020 on a $25,000 bail and is currently living with her maternal grandparents, which I know sounds crazy, but she is. 
Now, Sydney has pled not guilty in this trial by reason of insanity. And things get tricky in this case because both Steve, Sydney's father, as well as Brenda's parents, the people that Sydney is living with, have come forward and said that they do not want Sydney charged for this. During the pretrial, Steve said, quote, I don't know why we're doing this. This isn't what anyone wants here. I don't know how she can handle it. I don't know how I can handle it. I'm trying to keep my family together, end quote. Brenda's mom, Betsy, said, quote, all of this is opening things we hoped to put behind us, end quote. But nonetheless, Sydney's trial began on September 7th of this year, just a few weeks ago. The prosecution is trying to argue that Sydney committed a calculated and vengeful murder against her own mother. They believe she attacked Brenda after she had learned the truth about her daughter's academia status at Mount Union. They believe that this was a conscious act of Sydney's and she was not under a state of psychosis when this happened. They believe that she concocted a story about a break-in to try and make herself seem not guilty and even broke a window to try and solidify her story, which they are also arguing shows consciousness of guilt. She knew that what she did was wrong and knew in order to get out of it, she had to make up a story. Therefore, she broke the window to pretend there was a break-in. Now, the defense, on the other hand, they aren't denying that Sydney killed Brenda. In fact, they are saying that she did. However, they're saying that she did so in the midst of a psychotic break. They claim that since the murder, Sydney has been diagnosed with schizophrenia, however, has been receiving treatments and showing great results. They claim that Sydney was erratic and hysterical when police initially arrived onto the scene, which shows that she was unstable and in the midst of a psychotic breakdown. Now, the defense did bring up a psychologist who testified, saying that for three months leading up to the murder, Sydney was losing grip on her reality. She was lying to her parents and creating a false sense, again, of reality by saying that she was a student when she, in fact, wasn't, saying she was trying to constantly keep up with her own lies, and in doing so, she lost sense of what was real and what is not. The psychologist claimed that because there is a lack of motive here and with the spontaneity and the brutality of the attack, it suggests that Sydney was in a state of a psychotic break. Now, the motive aspect of this is interesting, too, because the prosecution is arguing that there was a motive. Because when it comes to motive, it could go one of two ways. You could either say there was no motive, this was spontaneous, this would just happened, this was a freak attack, a blitz attack, and it just happened. There was no motive, there was nothing to it. However, you could also argue that there was a motive, that Sydney was finally reaching the breaking point of all of her lies, all of her lies were catching up to her, and her parents were finally unveiling the truth about what had been going on for the past three months. Sydney had always been the golden child. She had been the one who always got the amazing grades, the outstanding student, and now she was suspended because she was failing, and all of these lies were catching up to her, and she reacted in a split second because she realized that all of her lies were catching up to her.
But again, the defense is arguing that there was no motive, that this was a blitz attack. Now, another neuropsychologist also took the stand and agreed with the theory that the previous psychologist had stated that there was no motive for this attack and that Sydney could not tell right from wrong at the time of the murder, even though she was conscious enough to know that she needed to make up a story in order to get out of it. Again, consciousness of guilt. Now, Steve took the stand to testify for his daughter and he claimed that before the murder, Sydney was not known to have any struggles with her mental health. She never visited a therapist and was never someone who was known to be violent. Her dad even said on March 3rd, talking to police, that there was no history of mental health issues in the family and that he would never expect that his daughter was capable of any sort of violence. Now, during the trial again, Sydney's roommate, Lauren, and also best friend, testified, saying that Sydney was a charismatic, social, and bubbly person, and that she did not notice any change in behavior from Sydney leading up to March 3rd. However, Lauren also claimed that Sydney never even told her about her status as a student. That was until late February when Sydney confided in Lauren, telling her that she was having some problems in school and that she needed some time out of the dorm to figure things out. Now, the last time that Lauren saw Sydney was on March 2nd, so the day before the murder, when Sydney and all of her sorority friends were having a viewing party for the TV show The Bachelor. Sydney went over, hung out with all of her friends, and did not appear to be distressed in any way. Lauren said that Sydney was acting like her normal self. So that is where we are in this trial. Throughout the trial, Sydney has been seen sitting in the courtroom, sobbing, listening to everyone testify. She has been very emotional all throughout the trial. So emotional that on September 14th, she asked the judge if she could be excused from the courtroom, which he allowed. Now, again, the whole argument in this case is whether or not Sydney is fit for trial, whether the whole insanity plea holds up. And that is why I wanted to bring this case to you guys today to hear what your thoughts on it are. I have my thoughts and I'm very interested to hear yours as well, but this is definitely going to be a case that I'm going to continue following. I'm going to keep you guys updated as we continue on in the trial. And all in all, like I mentioned in the beginning, this is just truly a horrific and tragic case. It was one that was very preventable regardless of anything. It seemed like Sydney came from loving parents a loving home and parents that were willing to support her through a troubled time and try and help her figure it out along the way. And sadly, it had to end like this. And that is very unfortunate for everyone involved. So let me know what you guys think about this one. Let me know in the comments. Do you believe that Sydney should get off on the insanity plea? Do you believe that she should not and that she should serve actual jail time for this? I'm very interested to hear what you have to say about it. Let me know all your thoughts about it in the comments below. But with that being said, you guys, that is all for me today. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of Killer Instinct. Again, if you're new here, hi, my name is Savannah and I'm your host of Killer Instinct. Make sure you go ahead and hit the subscribe button. That way you never miss an episode. We post weekly on the podcast every Wednesday. You're not going to want to miss it. And I will be back next week with a brand new one for you guys. And so until then, stay safe. Bye guys.